Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Feeling Seen, the podcast that talks about the movies that make us feel seen. My co-host for today is racking up an ever more impressive resume. Very shortly, perhaps right now, depending on when this goes out, uh, you will be able to see her new movie, It Lives Inside. Perhaps you have seen her in Poker Face recently, the heralded Ryan Johnson, Natasha Leone series on uh, Peacock. You maybe saw her grace the screen in Modern Family. She also starred in the film The Miseducation of Bindu and also the film Missing. You're in a lot of places, Megan Surrey. What have I left out that the people should know about you right at the top before we get started? I think you did a great job. I, I, I mean, I feel like the one thing that mo- I'm so excited that you said those, first of all, because I feel like usually recently anyways, the main thing has been never have I ever. So I'm glad never that have I ever. I totally the, no, like I, uh, the recent marquee. Jesus. <laughs> I, love it, though. I was like, I love that you were going over the more recent ones or just the ones that weren't that. Not that I don't love one, never have I ever. I do. But it was nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, well, she's talked about it enough. We don't need to bring that up exactly. here. We can set that off to the side. <laughs> God, that was like, it's right here. It's in the notes. It's even the first credit I have listed to say. No, but the people should know. The people should know. Uh, that you were also a uh, in Never Have I Ever was Anissa. That's correct. Th- so I do know things. I do know <laughs> things on my podcast, Megan, I promise. Um, and I guess the thing I would get started with, with It Lives Inside, horror movie, you've self-described as a bit of a horror nut. Uh, that is my area of specialization is is horror films. And so I was kind of wondering, like, do you have a favorite, like, horror as metaphor are you like a i'm a horror for, i'm a horror of grief girly or i'm a horror of loneliness person or i'm a horror of conservative presidential administrations kind of gal <laughs> like what do you got <laughs> i think i'm i'm that's i think maybe that's part of the reason why i love horror is that i i can just sort of go into it purely from an adrenaline standpoint like i'm just excited Great. to be scared but it's always mm-hmm. nice and surprising when i get to come out of it and i can have an intellectual think piece on it Typically, I'm just I'm just going in it for a good scare and a good movie. Okay, so then what what uh, you know recently or ever has really hit the gas and really I, rattled you? Like keep the lights on after ooh, it's over. Great question. Honestly, talk to me was an insurgent on the year. Yes, insurgent on the. I feel like especially as a I mean as a child, like it's understandable when you can't go to sleep. And like the last time that I've had. A genuine experience where I was terrified was when I watched it in theaters. Literally the only way that I was able to go to sleep was I was 18. I had just turned 18, I think. And I was like, oh no, wait, it only targets kids. I'm 18 years old. He can't get me. I'm so serious. That is literally how I was able to get myself to go to sleep by myself. And then you realized there was a chapter two and you were like, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> chapter two didn't come out until a couple of years later. So I was able to get at least two years of sleep. Well worth it. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, no, but I think Talk to Me was the one, and I feel like from an actor standpoint, especially after doing horror myself now, like I'm able to take yeah. myself outside of it and I'm like, oh, this is a scary movie, but like I, I see how they made it and like <laughs> I can put all the pieces together and then I can logically talk myself out of any of the horror. But I feel like Talk to Me was one where I was like, ooh, I'm like, I'm seeing faces as I close my eyes. I don't like this. <laughs> I got to see, I got the chance to see It Lives Inside a number of months ago now, and as well as um, Talk to Me before they before they came out for press stuff. And I've been kind of thinking of them in my head as a double feature 
since I have been able to see both movies. So I kind of feel like, I feel like it's a great 2023 double is your new film and talk to me back to back, actually. I will take that. I mean, let's, let's, let's hope that that happens. That's super, super flattering. Now, the character that you have brought to the table is Jess from Bend It Like Beckham. And the joy that I felt when someone suggested Bend It Like Beckham to cover on the show. Nearly scored from 25 yards today. Bent it and everything. I could have carried on playing all night. It's not fair. The boys never have to come home and help. I wonder if I had an arranged marriage, would I get someone who'd let me play football whenever I wanted? Who are you talking to? No one, Dad. When did Bend It Like Beckham come into your life? Ooh, first of all, I'm so excited that I get to talk to someone who feels the same way. Um, oh, God, yeah. I was like, wait a minute. This is like a cross-generational conversation about Bend It Like Beckham. It really, I mean, it's exactly that. And it was such a moment when it came out. I don't remember the exact age, to be completely honest, but I think mm-hmm. I was like definitely under 10. Oh, really? Oh, love it. Yeah, I was. And that's why it was so it was so monumental for me as a child just watching that because it was such a I mean, it was just such a cultural reset. And I feel like Berminder Nagra, who plays Jess in the movie, I feel like is often I feel like she, she doesn't get the flowers that she's so, so right. much so deserves. And I'm so happy that I get to talk about it and, and just bring light to like what she did and what that meant. Mm-hmm. You watch that. Like I, I watched it. I, I showed it to a couple of students. I think they were like 22 and 23 of their ages. I watched it with them. They had never seen this movie. <laughs> and I like, I had watched it many times over the years, but like really trying to like drill down on it and watch it. Like, okay, from the, I'm building questions based off of watching this. I'm like trying to connect it to like an individual I'm going to be speaking with and like through the lens that they would speak about it with. And it is so like, So there are certain parts of it like the, hey, like, let's all flirt with the mid-20s soccer coach and pretend that him flirting with teenagers is, like, fine. Like, that maybe doesn't travel with us. But otherwise, so much about this movie is still, it still holds up. So, like, even, say you watch it when you're 10, that's 14 years ago for you, that is well into the 2000s. Like, I'm watching this when I'm young. I'm watching it when it comes out 14 years ago. I'm... 24. We're both having a moment where this is something that feels different. This is something that feels like it's connecting on a special level. What were the levels that even at 10 you were experiencing this movie and being like, this is resetting something. This feels like a cultural reset to little me. Yeah, absolutely. So I I had a little bit of a different experience from most, I think, Indian American kids growing up. Not all of them, but I feel like for me, I'm often asked, you know, like, where did you feel seen? This this particular park has such a great idea and such a great um, example, should I say. And I feel like I grew up watching a lot of Bollywood movies. Like, that was really oh, yeah. the basis of so many of the movies that I watched. So I was very used to seeing brown women on screen in mm. Bollywood and Indian cinema. But when it came to American TV, it was never there. It was just, it was mm. not. And the shows that I watched, even though I loved them, never saw Brown Girl, never, not even a speck or a flicker. And so Bend It Like Beckham was the first like English speaking movie where I saw a brown girl who not only looked like me, but, you know, was Punjabi and like the, the, the her like the religion that she grew up with, mm-hmm. seeing the food that she ate. I mean, Alu Gobi, so um, it's <laughs> such a special moment in the movie. And like growing up, that's such a staple Punjabi dish. Been playing football for a women's team. Huh? 
worse than I thought. It's a proper tournament. They're real matches. What is wrong with you, Jess? I mean, if you're going to go to all this bother line, at least do it for something good. Don't you want a boyfriend like everyone else? Now, you're quite pretty, you know. You do something with your hair and put a bit of makeup on. You look all right. Yeah, hey, leave her alone. I never put makeup on till after I was married. Jessie's a good girl now. She helped me wash all the net curtains. And she made lovely aloo gobi last week. Huh? So it was the first time that I saw not just someone that looks like me and these cultural aspects, but really like a cool, rebellious yeah. Indian girl, which was sick <laughs> for lack of a better <laughs> term. It just was. Jasminder, are you listening to me? Jasminder, have you gone mad? Huh? Football, shoot a ball. Your sister's getting engaged and you're sitting here watching this skinhead boy. No, mom, it's Beckham's corner. Hey, come downstairs. Your sister's going crazy. Now, I've heard, I've, I've read you like repeatedly speak about in, in interviews. You've talked about what a supportive like anchor your family was for you. Like your dad being just like your ultimate cheerleader and your parents encouraging you to pursue what it was that would fulfill you the most. And you've talked about like, and then I kind of didn't realize how special that privilege was until I would get outside the little bubble of my family and be like, damn, like not everybody's got what I got. And so I wondered like from that aspect, like did you feel like the sort of cultural pressure aspect that Jess was experiencing in the movie, did that feel contrary to what you experienced or did you see it growing up with people around you? Or was that something in its way did it touch your life as well? Absolutely. It was definitely contrary to my particular experience, but I've had family members in my my, my actual family members, not my immediate family that, you know, would ask me, like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm an actor. And I, I, I've had them just say, I think you should just, like, go to school. Like, you know, and, like, mm -hmm. it always comes from a place, and we see in the movie, of just uncertainty and what it means to be, as an immigrant parent, just wanting a life for your child that you know is safe and that will provide mm -hmm. them with the means to succeed in a very competitive world, um, especially when you've left everything behind and sacrificed all that you've known to provide a better life and more opportunities. So I think as you get older, those maybe those things at the time didn't necessarily hit me right away. You're dead. You're a little child. You're a little child. I'm still not a scholar, but, you know, you get older and you realize that even every parent that, you know, um, isn't necessarily supported from the get go. It's it's always just coming from a place or I shouldn't say always, but most of the time it's coming from a place of just fear Mm -hmm. And so I'm very grateful that that, that that wasn't necessarily my experience, but absolutely. And I actually, the first time that I saw that was not even from an Indian or a brown family. It was when I went to acting school and was meeting adults and mm -hmm. they did not look like me, but they didn't have parents or families that were as supportive. And I remember my bubble very quickly shattering and being like, wow, I'm my dad's literally in the parking lot waiting for me to get out of this three hour acting class. I'm going to mm -hmm. go to my car and give him the biggest hug because I don't do that enough. I don't want her to make the same mistakes that her father made of accepting life, accepting situations. I want her to fight. And I want her to win. Because I've seen her playing. She's, She's brilliant. I don't think anybody has the right of stopping her. 
I've, I've read you talk about like discussing Never Have I Ever and talking about like what a privilege it was to play like a cool brown girl, like a cool Indian girl. Yeah. And getting the chance to like embody like, you know what you've like auditioned for over the course of your career. You've been at this for a long time. You are in fact an industry veteran. It's yeah. been like a decade plus career that you've had. And so like having that kind of backup behind you and being in a situation where I would imagine you're kind of confronted with like a lot of offers toward more of like stereotype casting or like boxed in casting of like popular perceptions of what, you know, demographics should look like and behave like on screen. Like what does having that support system behind you do to inform your decisions of what you say? Yes, I will take this. And no, I won't. Because when you're building a career, like there is such a power in saying no that you have to work for in your career. Like saying no is such a privilege to work in this industry as any freelancer. Absolutely. I mean, I I feel like never have I ever. It was really what exacerbated me to be in a position where I could start to say no to things. Because again, I think coming into it, it was very much so... The, the immigrant mentality that was like, no, you, and also just the actor's mentality. Really. Yeah. No, you take everything that comes your way and you're grateful, especially when you look like me and the roles aren't always just there for you to have. Yeah. It's like, you're just excited to work and excited to be on set. And so I think what never have I ever did on a personal level for me, because Anissa was so different than any of the quote unquote Indian roles or South Asian roles that I've played before was that she was a cool Indian girl and which reminds me so much of Jess and Ben mm-hmm. like Beckham, not just because Nisa is also a soccer player, but best believe I'm <laughs> definitely channeling my inner Jess on set, <laughs> which is very cool. But it, it did. It, it really showed me the kind of roles I wanted to take in the future. And as excited as I may have been for a role, if I just felt like it was a stereotype that I feel like has been done already or maybe has done has been done in excess it's and i have i have now said no to things that mm-hmm. i don't want to do and i i feel like that opens up the opportunity for another actress to, mm-hmm. to really shine in that light but i feel like the trajectory that i'm on and and what i want to do is hopefully you know change the perception of, of how we view Indian or South Asian brown women because we're all layered and and we deserve to be part of stories just as layered as everyone else. Mm -hmm. It's such an amazing expression of of like what you feel and what your priorities are and then to know like the gravity of what Bendit like Beckham could accomplish for for women and girls like you like watching like and it like it's like you want it to just be a movie because it would be cool if it could just be a sports movie. But then there's all this concrete piled on top of it of like the implications of what you as a figurehead could mean. And that like, it's an unfair thing for you to have to factor into your decision making to be like, how do I be, uh, how do I be the beacon of hope for everyone? <laughs> but is that something you find? Is that something that's like a conflicted question in how you have to approach it or is it like a thing that you embrace because either way would be completely understandable yeah no wow great question I think as I move I think before prior to me having to become a little bit more logical and more critical about the kind of roles that I was taking mm-hmm. I think before it was really just about oh my gosh how do I how do I be an actor I want to be an actor yeah. I want to be in things I want to act and now I think there is there is definitely an added layer now of just like people tuning in to watch your stuff or like people just knowing, you know, the stuff that you're putting out. Um, 
And and there is, but I try not to let that affect the work because I mm-hmm. think a good script is always going to be a good script. A good character is always going to be a good character. And as far as I'm doing what I can in terms of moving the needle forward in the way that I want to, which is just doing all kinds of roles and, and having brown women see themselves on screen, not necessarily always in a brown specific role. Yeah. And I think that's that's what's always and I and I think moving forward will always be the most important to me is just mm-hmm. representation. It doesn't always have to be on the nose. Simply yeah. could mean being on screen and in an otherwise movie where that wouldn't have been the case. And so, like, you know, like you said, growing up with Bollywood cinema and perhaps, like, of the the so many rich tapestry of Bollywood, Mollywood, Tollywood, Malayawood, like, growing yeah. up with such a wealth of Indian cinema available to you, like, God, if, God, if American cinema could just be 5% more interesting along the lines with the audaciousness to put a nine-minute musical number about the power <laughs> of male friendship in the middle of literally anything, we would all be better for it. Like, I went, I went and saw RRR. It was like, if there is not a six-minute song about the power of male friendship in the middle of this movie, it's a complete failure for me. And the song was longer than six minutes. So it was like, thank God. I am here. I'm getting what I need here. I'm being taken care of. I feel like if we take away anything from learning through through Bollywood cinemas, I so wish that in American theaters, we started adding an intermission break. Like, yeah. Right. I mean, for those of anyone that's listening and, and when you go watch an indie movie in the theater, we have a thing called an intermission break. So like after 90 minutes, because our movies are three hours, three long, hours long, we you got to fit the songs. You got to yeah, fit the songs and dances. Songs, but I feel like American cinema and American theaters, we can and really just globally. We can benefit from that where you have 10 minutes. To just go use the bathroom, stretch out your legs, <laughs> get a snack, get some tea and then come back and you finish it like it's a play. Everyone's happy. It's an experience. I really hope that they bring that back or just start it. Anyways. (laughs) No, I completely agree. Especially in the age of diminishing attention. Let people know that there's a break coming. Exactly. And so like with, with growing up with choices like that, but then being like, but it is, it's a like even feeling as a little kid, feeling the difference of like, wow, when this is in English, I don't really ever get to see stuff like this. I don't ever get to see a girl like Jess. Like as somebody who has been in this business for a long time, like, I don't know that you were, I don't know that you had started acting around that time, but it's perhaps not long after that you had, like, what does seeing that example in, like, in English language film, what does that do as somebody who's, like, on the way to becoming an actor themselves, and what does that empower you, perhaps, in some way to even think, opening up possibilities for what you could even do on screen? Absolutely. Well, I feel like even acting as its own, it was never something that I had ever I mean I always as a child loved to entertain and perform and that was Mm -hmm. sort of what my dad sort of picked up on hey do you want to do this and I was like can I and that was literally it because I had never even fathomed being able to do this it was just something that I enjoyed but I think that Bend It Like Beckham really was tangible proof that like no you you can because there's Perminder Nagra playing soccer on tv and and she gets this is a really terrible way to put it because I never want to be a pick me girl, but it was like a real moment where like, you know, Indian girls and Brown girls in general, like we, we weren't always the desirable one. If we were in something, it was like, we were the butt of the joke or we're this cool quirky friend. And and those are some of the roles that I've definitely played. She told me about a scout coming. Sorry, I'm letting her down. I asked that scout to come for you too. He was interested in both of you. Me? Why are you doing this to me, Joe? 
Every time I talk myself out of it, you come around and make it sound so easy. I guess I don't want to give up on you. So, uh, are you promised to one of those blokes in there? <laughs> don't be silly. I'm not promised to anyone. You're lucky to have a family that cares that much about you. I can understand you don't want to mess with it. That movie is so ahead of its time because, you know, she she was the girl. She 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 won the match and, and mm -hmm. she got the guy and girl, <laughs> she, she's so iconic. She's just so iconic in so many ways. And I know that she means so much to so many, so many brown women all over for those reasons. And like accidented into becoming, as I was sharing it with the the friends that I have, I was like, this is a non-canonical queer classic. I was like, so the characters that you will be seeing are not gay, but according to everyone who is, they are, and we just didn't get to see their college years. Dad, I can't believe it. It was amazing. My eyes just glazed over. What a game for him to see. It's incredible. Santa Clara is in California. It's like one of the top teams. Oh, he even said he could give us like a full scholarship, which means you wouldn't have to pay nothing. Oh, it's so amazing. Me and Jess there together, the pair of us. This movie is such a good example too of the ways in which something arrives in front of us and then explodes to mean so much more than perhaps like, this is a kicky soccer movie. And like, we're gonna, mm -hmm. like Be David Beckham is huge in the cultural zeitgeist right now. And we can anchor it around this like, and yet like it can reach so many like young forming queer girls and guys, surely. And it can be something that like gives them a touch point relationship to be like, oh, when I saw Jess and Jules on screen and they weren't kissing, but I could clearly imagine it. Kissing, me, a boy. You're mad, you're all bloody mad. Jasmine, don't use those swearing words. I was at the 120 bus stop today, but with Juliet, my friend, she's a girl. And we weren't kissing or anything, for God's sake. Swear by Babaji? I swear on Babaji's name. Sometimes these English girls have such short hair. You just can't tell. That exists as something like in the void of the absence of anything else. You get to create a story for yourself on screen and then to this movie to come out with a character like Jess. Like the fact that it just... It's such a beautiful, like, charming testament to the power of, like, what's possible in the job that you do. Like, even when it's just fun stories. Like, even when the story doesn't isn't about the meta-narrative at all. It's so beautiful to see how something endures over time and the greater life that it takes that I'm sure the people involved, like, maybe they had a small hope that something like that was possible. But then, like, for it to be 20 years later and people still being like, oh, bend it like Beckham, like that kind of changed me a little bit. Like that's remarkable. It is. And I'm not to, to be annoying, but I actually, and I still geek out over it, but I just recently had the pleasure of being able to work with Berminder Nagar where she played my mom, which oh. it was very weird. And I remember asking her and she was so kind and she was so lovely, which I never, it's like, you know, you never want to meet your heroes or whatever because they can be terrible and then you just lose hope. But I remember <laughs> like she was having a glass of wine and I was like, oh, it's either now or never. She's only here for two <laughs> days. I gotta make my move. And um, I went up to her and I was like, I just... I, I think you're amazing. And like, thank you so much for everything you've done. And she couldn't have been nicer, but I did ask her that. I was like, did you ever think that it was going to 
be like as big as it was? And her answer was no, not at all. Not a chance in the world. And I think as an actor, personally, that's always really exciting too and scary, but it's, it's also just exciting. And that's like, what's going to stick and what's going to land. We don't know. um, But that's part of the excitement of cinema in general is just when you know that you put your all into it, the right people and the right audience will will they'll, they'll just find it. I really do believe. Mm-hmm. What a what a beautiful like full one of those full circle moments where it's like That's I true. am like I'm not only like I'm not like meeting you at an industry function or I'm not like in the same place as you. Like you're playing my mom, and yeah. you kind of changed my life. Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was well, it was very surreal, very full circle. I had to. I had to really remind myself, like, okay, I'm professional. I cannot fangirl over her and weird her out. She's British. She will definitely think I'm weird. Mm-hmm. Pull it together, Megan. Um, <laughs> Pull it together, Megan. It really was. I had to have, like, inner talks every day. I just, And then when she sat next to me in the van going to set, I was just like, don't, don't be weird. Don't be weird. <laughs> But it was every single day. I was just—it was like sitting next to a literal superhero. She's so cool, and then and then I can't say enough nice things about from in there as a person. She's just a lovely human being, very kind, and yeah, I'm very grateful. Very weird. <laughs> very weird. So weird. We're going to take a quick break. Then we'll be back, and I'll ask Megan more about Jess and about her new film, It Lives Inside. Then I will have one quick thing about some more, let's call it Halloween news, the October programming coming up on the Criterion channel. Uh, Acknowledging the films that should be acknowledged, we will talk about it at the end, so stick around. If you need a laugh and you're on the go, try S-T-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T-I. Were you trying to put the name of the podcast there? Yeah, I'm trying to spell it, but it's tricky. Let me give it a try. Okay. If you need a laugh and you're on the go, call S-T-O-P-P-P-A-D. Ah, it'll never fit. No, it will. Let me try. If you need a laugh and you're on the go, try S-T-O-P-P-P-D-C-O-O. Ah, we are so close. Stop podcasting yourself. A podcast from MaximumFun.org. If you need a laugh and you're on the go. I'm Ify Wadiway, the host of Maximum Film. I'm Alonzo Duralde, also the host of Maximum Film. And I'm Drea Clark, yet another host of Maximum Film. Every week, we host Huddle Up. Usually with an illustrious guest. And we talk about films. We have film news. We have film quizzes. We answer your film questions. It's like the maximum amount of film talk. That's why we call it Maximum Maximum Film. Film! Maximum Film, the movie podcast that's not just a bunch of straight white guys. New episodes weekly on MaximumFun.org. Welcome back to Feeling Scene. Today I'm talking with Megan Surrey, who's feeling seen by Jess Bamra, as played by Parminder Nagra in 2002's Bend It Like Beckham. Megan's new film is It Lives Inside, and I just want to point out that the film has been granted a SAG waiver, which is how Megan was able to speak with us for this episode. So let's get back into it. Do you, like, because, and and Bend It Like Beckham is something that came out, like, again, like two decades ago at this point, and TV has, seems like it has been allowed to push forward faster in terms of, like, 
by vo sheer volume, the scope of stories and the depth of their complexity, because, you know, you get 12 one or 100 hours of something, as opposed to, like, an hour and a half, but it feels... It's amazing how, like, something like Polite Society can come out now and feel like a successor to Bend It Like Beckham, which is cool, but also, like, shit, this is 20 years ago, man. How come I feel like this is a fairly unique successor to something that happened decades ago? Like, where are the several things in between Bend It Like Beckham and Now that I feel like I can group with these films? And, like, is that a deficit you notice as well? Or am I just out of step with what could possibly be an heir to the legacy of, of a Bend It Like Beckham? No, I think you're totally right in noticing that. It, it is, I mean, when you put it in that, I've, I've never actually verbalized it. But, I mean, when you say it, and especially when you hear someone else saying it, you do realize what a deficit there there is. But I think um, I think that's that's been one of another th great thing about, and I'm not just crediting this to Never Have I Ever, but I really do feel like because there have been so many other great Indian, Brown, South Asian actresses who have really paved the way for for something like Never Have I Ever to even exist. Mm -hmm. But I think that I would like to hope and think that after seeing such another yet another global success in never have I ever on a platform yeah with Netflix that you know normally if you pitched it to a studio I'm sure they were like cool story but like who's gonna watch it yeah and I think what never have I ever really did was show that no actually a lot of people will and it's not mm -hmm. gonna be just South Asian people it'll be people all around the world and I feel like that really helped trickle unfortunately sometimes hope into other studios and other people to be like, actually there, there is an audience and it's not just this small niche one. So yeah. With polite society, another great freaking movie, dude. Like, so what a blast. What, what a blast. I listen, I haven't laughed that hard in a movie. I have not <laughs> cried that hard in a movie in a very long time. It was such a great experience and, and, and everyone in it involved is incredible. So I just hope that we continue seeing this new trend of continuously seeing more people producing stuff and it doesn't become this like I hope that Bend It Like Beckham I will I know it will always stand the test of time and be as iconic yes. as it is but I do hope that moving in the future we we have more of Bend It Like Beckham's and we have mm -hmm. more and like younger girls will one day come up and, and and say that they have like you know they can have a whole list of things that they have to think about that's mm -hmm. the goal well, and into the, you know, to, to It Lives Inside, there is um, an aspect to the malevolence in this movie. You know, your, your, your character comes across like something demonic, something very terrible. And it is an entity that, I don't think this is spoiling anything, but like it sustains and is empowered by feeding on like the loneliness and isolation of the person that like attaches itself to. And that like gaping maw uh, sort of starts sucking in everything around it. It doesn't just affect one person. It like it pulls everything into sort of hell with it. And you know what is what is a representation that you are looking to fulfill? You're like you know what no one no one is giving me my anxiety representation representation that I want. No one's like what part of yourself are you like as we are you know as we are in a bloom of independent cinema the, the monoculture is dead like it's we have to play to the niches and there is like a sort of beautiful oddity I feel like that comes out of cinema to time like particularly in horror where we get to see like a lot of weird cool shit 
And I want to know, like, what part of yourself are you jonesing to see either brought to life by yourself or somebody else on screen that you just don't feel like we're tapping into yet in the beautiful, rich tapestry of, like, the human condition? And maybe you got to find it and it lives inside. I don't know. Hey, I mean, yeah, no, th these are questions that were, it's, I'm reminded how important it is for me to meditate so I can become more self-aware and like mm -hmm. more aware of, of the feelings that hide within me. But I think, and and, and not to, to be cliche about it, but that's sort of the beauty of, of playing roles like this is that it isn't until I play them and I'm able to, sometimes I think it takes an outside perspective. So I'm able to live through the lens of a different character to, mm figure out what it is that I'm actually seeking for. And I feel like in, in It Lives Inside, we cover a lot of different emotions, not just as a teenager, but specifically also as a brown teenager, mm -hmm. what the emotions are like. And it's it's one of the, the, the sort of more complex versions of where we do tread on, on, on these very universal feelings of shame and of isolation and, mm -hmm. and embarrassment and all these really dark feelings that I feel like as kids, especially when you don't know how to deal with these emotions or even as adults, um, mm -hmm. like how do we, how do you navigate that? And I think it lives inside does a really cool, but I mean, cool is not the right word I need to, <laughs> but it does a really good job of, of really exploring those very real feelings in a way that isn't, I, I think the horror aspect really allows the uncomfortableness to not be as consuming as I think that they can be. And it makes mm -hmm. it look in a weird way more palatable, which mm -hmm. I, I don't know if that answers the question. Mm -hmm. <laughs> no, I think that's interesting. Like that's interesting as a consideration, like the idea, like, cause you know, I, I feel like when the lockdowns hit, there was like this, uh, I was working for Vulture at the time and I put together a list of like, here are, contagion movies that you can watch and that list did really well because there was like and I feel like you know anecdotally sort of across Twitter and stuff it was clear that like people were really seeking out in this time of the specific anxiety of a plague they were looking for movies about the same thing sure. and I think it's fascinating that like the idea of being in the middle of a horror, it feels comforting to like watch that horror. And maybe it's a sense of like, hey, I guess like somebody else is feeling what I'm feeling too. Or maybe like, you know, I think a, a thing that is can that is advantageous about horror as a metaphor for other things is there's such a bigness and a scariness to it that it can put up a distance between you and the subject material while still feeling familiar and exercising an anxiety that you have. But you're like, but at least this is as big as a demon. And so like, I can kind of divorce myself from it's the suspension of disbelief that I think can perhaps provide a sort of therapeutic way for people to process a similar anxiety to what they're seeing on screen. Absolutely. You worded that better than I ever could, but that's exactly it. I think it's, it is that it is that hyperbolic version of what you're experiencing, but seeing it represented in a way that sometimes at least when you go back home, it is like, a okay, like she survived. I can do. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to be fine. <laughs> Well, and what it, like, you know, to say, like, you know, I feel like I should meditate more to, like, like get, heighten my self-awareness. What is, like, what are lessons that you have taken from characters? Like, do you have, like, yeah. favorite things that you have pulled from characters you play where you're like, man, I'm who I am today because I got to live in this skin for a bit and borrow something of this person's to bring forward into my life? Absolutely. I think especially as I move forward and I'm able to actually play 
characters that are layered and have real life to them as opposed to mm-hmm. these like you know single dimension roles i absolutely have been able to pull stuff and i think that's just indicative of really breathing life into a character you take some life with you out of it mm. but i mean i it's weird how every role that i've played so far has sort of mirrored my this is so vulnerable but it's it's mirrored my life quite similarly to its mm. time so i almost feel like in a weird cosmic way like i was meant to to do those roles for those reasons because either I was living through it or I needed to still learn something that I hadn't yet picked up in my own experience. But um, I mean, absolutely. I feel like if I told you each one, it would be very vulnerable. But also <laughs> like it would take forever because I, I really have learned so much. And, and in the case and it lives inside, I, I can maybe share with that. I feel like those, those aspects of, of, of shame are, are so, they're so real. Not mm-hmm. that I, I definitely experienced it as a kid, but I think coming into adulthood, Sam really gets to uh, face those emotions at a very young age. I feel like I wasn't, I was not in high school feeling empowered that way. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until after that I was able to like see myself outside of the sort of grossness of high school and like really yeah. take pride in who I was and, and be proud of my heritage. Um, but that was, that was something really exhilarating to kind of, um, retouch and revisit and, and be like, Oh yeah, no, this is a very cool moment. And this, and, and this is so important to tell the story for this exact reason. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think it like, I haven't thought of it in these exact specific terms for like, I, but I, I'm a complete believer in the notion that like we find the people we need when we need them. Like Absolutely. we find like friends in our lives. Like we, we connect with people for the reasons that we do at the instant we meet them because we are receptive to things about them. They're receptive to things about us. Like, and we, we find the people that need, that we need to find at that appropriate time. And I haven't thought about it in terms of like character before, but like, I feel like it has to be something similar with like responding to a character on the page and taking a potential job where it's like, it, it's like it's making a friend in a way, but like it's forming an intimate relationship with a person, but it just happens to be a person that you create. Absolutely. That's such a beautiful and poetic way to put it, but it is, it, it really is. Um, and, and it can be really cathartic sometimes because, or, and also just in, in the, and super therapeutic too, because you're mm-hmm. able to, like I said, look at it from an outside view and then you can go home and you can sit with it or you can leave it, you know, the way that you're mm-hmm. with, with the character. But I think that in the general scheme of things, yeah, absolutely. There's always something to take away from each character. And I've been really lucky so far that I've been able to play really interesting characters. And I hope that that only continues because it's, I should get a therapist, but so far my characters are my therapists for me. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that is a that is an ext- that is a perfectly actor thing to say. I feel like that is a perfectly actor thing to say. And well, and like thinking about it too, in sort of the terms of like thinking about it in terms of like a relationship and like you know, because when you start with something, you get a script that is potentially years before anyone else in the world sees it. Like it is, this is such a weird industry where like you can get good news that you can't tell anybody for three goddamn years. Yeah. You're like, like six of your closest people can know. But other than that, it has to be a total secret. So, but like you can go into these characters and like take these lessons from them and live in their skin and be influenced by them. And then by the time you come on the other side and finally are like in a position to be able to talk about it with people, like 
you've like gone through a whole processing session of like how this person coexists with you and what they mean to you. And to where it's like, oh, that that relationship in those old days, those salad days of me and that character. Like, <laughs> what a fascinating, like, emo- what a weird emotional process you guys are asked to do in talking about characters that you lived with months or years ago. Thank you for noticing that and like bringing that up because that is so real. And then it's also so weird when you actually see the final product and then you're just like, oh, like what, what did it do? But it's because you've grown so much of the process that yeah. you maybe no longer resonate with that person or you just, it feels like, you know, you, you were like 13 when you made it. And then when it comes out, it feels like you're 18 and you're like, whoa, yeah. two very different people. But it, you know, as long as it serves a purpose for the film and the movie and the directors and the producers are happy, like that's all you can do as an actor and you got to leave it. Yeah, no, that's, I'm, I'm, I'm really thinking about now and the idea that like, you like right now you might not necessarily be the person who's like this is like not like you stand by the work you're like yes it lives inside pro this so happy to promote it but like if you got that script now maybe you're not the person who you were when you read it the first time where it's like this is the journey I need to go on because if you're going to commit to one of these things that's committing for a long time and so like you got to kind of be sure about it's like like am I going to date am I going to date this movie for this long am I going to date this show for this long like am I ready to move in with this show kind of situation. So like, and then, yeah, I'm just, wow. What a, what a weird career, man. Thanks for doing press. It's kind of a strange proposition for you. Not even, this has been so great, but it is, it's, it's it's a quite weird career for sure. (laughs) But thank you. Through, I wonder what, like, as you like refine the power of no and get to exercise that more, like, I feel like, Yes, being able to say yes to things is really cool. Like being able to have something offered to you and say yes is really awesome. Being able to say no is power. Being able to say no is setting a boundary. It's giving people permission or taking it away. So I'm wondering, how are you feeling about your like, in your sort of ideal scenario, perhaps like as you form this, like hone this even further, what do you hope what do you want to do as you build your career further with that like power of no like what I, I like to empower oneself by using that word no is a full sentence as they say like Absolutely. what are you looking forward to being able to reinforcing in your life by saying no to shit yeah I mean I'm, I'm so glad that you bring this up because I feel like even right now with the WGA and SAG Yes, saying no and taking a stance against these studios that I feel like we would have never done before because we all mm-hmm. want a job and we all want to work and even speaking about it is 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 risque and like we don't yeah. want to post it or whatever the case is. Um, but seeing that resolve and 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 being empowered by the fact that they're like, no, you will treat us better, and that mm-hmm. is that is the condition. That is the only condition, and we are not going to back down. Has been super inspirational in that way, but. To add to my own personal experience outside of my own union, I would say that uh, it was it 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 I it, it's definitely still a learning experience. But I feel as an as an actor, as an artist, as an artist, <laughs> yes, um, it's it's been so fulfilling for me as an actor because now when I do say yes, even to something that's not an offer and it's an audition. Mm-hmm. I, the level of excitement and passion that I'm able to bring to that and the amount of work that I'm willing to expend in that and even just creating an audition is so much different than it's coming from a place of like, 
well, I got to do this and I'm not yeah. going to get it, but I've got to do it. Um, so that, that alone, and that, that's what also helps the rejection part of it not be as intense because it's mm. not, I mean, it hurts just as bad, <laughs> but yeah. I'm able to say, you know what? I know that I gave everything that I possibly had for that. Mm-hmm. And it didn't come my way because it just wasn't the right thing. Not because I felt like I was being pressured to do it or mm-hmm. I was, it's, it's not coming from this low vibrational part of myself. And it's really mm-hmm. like, you know what? I did the work to the best of my abilities. The rest will take care of itself. So there's a lot of freedom in, in that as well, that I really, mm-hmm. freedom adds to that overall empowerment of like feeling good about the work that you're putting out, even if it's just going to be seen by producers, mm-hmm. it's not going to make it out into the real world, you know? Yeah. God, it's such a grind. It's such a grind to pitch yourself. That, yeah. Like, if you can find greater peace and delight in the pitching process, that I want that for you so badly. That's such great <laughs> news. And I guess my la- my last question would be, like, because you mentioned the union stuff, so I have to bring it up. Like, the union, like, the WGA, SAG, like, auto worker. Like, I was so unprepared for how many inflection points I would be living through in life. Um, you're yeah. younger than me. Did Were you more equipped for the inflection points? Because they're happening all at once, everything everywhere, all at once, these inflection points. <laughs> no, I don't think any of us were. It's, it's, okay. it's, it's just a crazy time. And we're all, we're all learning how to navigate it as like day by day because it's changing yeah. day by day. Yeah. So no, no. Yeah. Okay, great. I just want to see if in school, maybe they covered inflection points more right, with 14 think, years you difference. You, or you would just think that people would treat their actors and their writers fairly, but hey. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy that, like, the people who make the things that make your entire existence possible as a check-signing studio executive, that you'd be like, this should be a hobby for them, right? This is a hobby. <laughs> They're just happy to be here. But that is Union song, Strong, SAG Strong, WGA Strong, Standing by the Unions. We say it here on the pod, and Absolutely. thanks for bringing it up here. But, Megan, that is, I, I'm, uh, I'm bummed to let you go. I hope the next time you have something out, we don't normally, like, go back to a guest scan, but I specifically would love to talk to you about a Bollywood character that you oh were like, God. this was so far. I would love, I will be pitching you again. I'm saying it on the record, so my producer has to say yes in the moment to having a repeat <laughs> guest. Because I we have not flattered. discussed Bollywood cinema on here yet. I would love to with you. Absolutely. This was so fun. I would be happy to return if, if, if that ever presented itself. This was so, so awesome. Thanks for having me. Yes. Thank you for, thank you for coming on. Thank you for being a part of the show today, for weathering my technical difficulties and good <laughs> luck with the It Lives Inside rollout. It's a tremendous, scary movie and the cast is fantastic. And yeah, double down on it, you guys. Go to your, to- go get a talk to me. It Lives Inside double up for this year. Shout out to Jordan. Thanks for the plug. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much to Megan Surrey. It Lives Inside is out in theaters this week. Support those little horror movies. And if you haven't seen Bend It Like Beckham, wow, treat yourself. It is streaming on Hulu and Disney Plus right now. What a gift to you. Um, And I'm so excited for this discovery that you're about to make, especially after you listen to this great conversation. You should be very excited. And now that one quick thing before I go. We shouted out the September programming, I believe it was the September programming, of the Criterion Channel uh, several episodes ago because they did a teenage horror run on the platform. And that is very exciting because you have movies in a list like that that kind of get consigned to the 
recycling bin of horror. People say it's just, you know, hack and slash. It's just tropes. It's just cliches. But there's so much value in studying where the cliches and horror came from and how those cliches have been used best. And yeah, if you think it's trash, watch it again and learn some lessons from it because I can almost assure you that's what's going to happen. But we have a new month of programming on Criterion. It's October. That means it's Halloween month. That means they're sticking with the horror theme. And this time it is 90s horror, which is really exciting because we hear a lot about 90s horror in that like post-scream wave of tongue-in-cheek, self-aware, flashy teen horror movies. Scream, I know what you did last summer. Uh, the Faculty, Teaching Mrs. Tingle, like all of those are Kevin Williamson movies. Um, Valentine, a personal favorite of mine. Cry Wolf, I mean, gargantuan list. Sleepover horror movies of millennials. But you know what? There was a lot of good going on between the slasher boom of the 80s, the way it kind of tired out toward the end of the decade after we hit slasher fatigue, and then in that interim time, before the postmodern horror wave, before the self-aware horror wave arrived, there was an uncoalesced but amazing bridge time in the early to mid-1990s where a lot of strange, interesting, fascinating, intense, gorgeous horror cinema happened. And I say uncoalesced because it's not really organized around such a quaint theme as like, oh yeah, this was the slasher era. This was the torture era. This is the, you know, this is the post-Vietnam nihilism gore era. There, It's not so tidy as that. But some examples of what you will see, Death by Temptation, The Exorcist 3, Frankenhooker, In the Mouth of Madness, uh, Abel Ferrer's uh, The Addiction, Tales from the Crypt, Demon Knight, Dust Devil. There is a broad sweep of really cool stuff that was happening at that time. It wasn't just Silence of the Lambs. And I am really excited that it is getting featured in this way that, like, you know, it comes from Criterion and they give you a set list like this. It's like, hey, here's your summer reading. Here's your Halloween reading. Like, brush up, learn something, and welcome to the party. And it gives it that nice imprimatur of not so much legitimacy. I'm not looking for these movies to be legitimized. They already are legitimate. They're legitimately great. Um, but just the imprimatur of something that says, ah, yes, these have been sanctioned, and they are sent out into the world by a trusted cultivating entity, a uh, curating entity, rather, and therefore we can watch these things in a block and begin our education and exploration of a really cool time in horror that doesn't get enough conversation at the big, broad level. Like, obviously, the heads, you know, the horror heads are having their conversations about whatever, talking about, you know, the serpent and the rainbow and stuff. But, like, I'm talking about people who just want to dip in and, and see something they've never seen before. Uh, so, yeah, I'm really excited about that. 90s horror coming up on the Criterion channel in October. And that... I think it's very fitting. We had a little Criterion Horror Bumper after a wonderful little horror movie episode for It Lives Inside. But boom Synergy. And that, folks, is our show. You can follow us on Twitter at FeelingScenePod or send us an email at FeelingScene at MaximumFun.org. If you want to follow me, I'm Jorcru on Twitter. It's J-O-R-C-R-U. Our theme music is by Andrew Epen. The show is produced by Marissa Flaxbart. Our senior producers are Kevin Ferguson and Laura Swisher, and this is a production of Maximum Fun.
Maximum Fun, a worker-owned network of artist-owned shows, supported directly by you.